0: Previously on Dry Powder, Matthew Brockman, managing partner of HG, talked about how sector specialization has helped his team prepare for volatile times.
1: It's boring on the growth side and the upside, predictable, but it's also nice and stable and boring on the downside. Today on the show, I'll ask
0: Matthew what longer-term trends are going to transform the way we work in the future.
1: People are bored of SaaS. It was 10 years ago. Now it's all about crypto and Web 3.0 and so on. We're still implementing SaaS and it's still right in the early stages. And it's remarkable to think how long that takes, how much longevity there is in those adoption curves for these kind of product sets. It's a remarkable trend, actually.
0: I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Dry Powder. We've been talking a lot about short-term market effects, but let's take a little bit of a longer-term view. When I think about software and technology, I tend to think about... Long-term change, disruption eventually, things like automation happening in different industries. What sort of technological trends is HG ultimately betting on in the future? Can you kind of sum up what trends you think are going to transform the way we work a few years from now?
1: So if you think about the very long term, as of probably five to seven years ago, everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket. And that enables all sorts of automation, ways in which you can communicate ways in which you can capture data, ways in which you can roster or move people or set jobs or regulate and so on. And we're still in relatively early stages of how that is moving through and is being used. And it's remarkable to me how many small applications people can dream up and create over the course of time that fits different sort of workplaces. The second big theme is cloud computing, right? You've got enormous processing power now with AWS and Azure and a bunch of the cloud providers which means, again, your ability to build product, software, automation is just as powerful as it's ever been. And those are long-run trends. I would say the third area, which is sort of has been flavor of the month of probably a few years ago, was sort of, you know, AI and how do you use data and that sort of stuff. And again, turning that from sort of concept and sort of idea to actually this is practically how we use this in a workflow application. This is how we use this for customer support, sales organizations, prioritization, data science, that stuff, I guess, is becoming more and more pronounced. We have a we have a data team in-house now of 10 or 12 people. And all they do is think about how we can use the information which is captured within our businesses for sales, product development, and that's a really rich source of information and insight that we rely on. I'm
0: fascinated by your comment on data science and actually using that in-house. I am very interested in how private equity investors are actually applying the technological trends themselves. So what else are you doing at HG that takes advantage of some of these longer-term trends that is going to either already is changing the way that you invest or is going to change the way that you invest and make you much more efficient and much smarter, say, in the next three to five years?
1: We spent a lot of time with our data team on information that's stored within the systems of companies we're thinking of acquiring, and saying, how do we use that insight? So matching up CRM systems, billing systems, um, customer health data, those kind of data sets, and then saying, what does that tell me about what products people are buying, their willingness to pay, what are the products they might buy? What's every keystroke almost telling me about what, how people are using my product? And the richness of that information is incredible. And it's rare that we end up investing in a business where that's actually really been developed. And so we spend a a whole load of time with, say, an in-house team and a load of offshore capacity trying to go and finding those insights. And that unlocks enormous amounts of value in our companies. I would say the other theme is, you know, how do you map your environment? How do you know where innovation is coming from, new companies are coming from, who's hiring who's active in some of the social media sites? How do I think about that in terms of feeding me information on what companies are being built, where I should spend my time, what trend lines am I seeing? So again, you can study this outside in, or you can say, can I get a bunch of data and then sort of analyze this and structure it in a way that really draws insight out. And that, I mean, that makes our job a lot easier if we do it it well.
0: Absolutely. When I think about a a sport like ice hockey, Matthew, which I'm not sure how popular that is in the UK, I know it's popular in other parts of, uh, of Europe, they talk a lot about knowing where the puck is going. And if you know where the puck is going and you position yourself in the right place, you can actually pot a goal and, and, and win the game. And a lot of these technological trends that you're tracking sound to me like a version of know where the puck is going in investing. How do you actually do that at HG? Do you have a team of technical experts in-house beyond the data scientists that actually help you stay on top of all of these different types of emerging technologies and trends? Are you recruiting? What sort of activities do you undertake to make sure that you do know where the puck is
1: going? Uh, it's that great uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, right? I'm not an ice hockey person, but I do I do know that, that particular quote. It's a great quote. Good enough. A plus, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, the big value we have, I think, is the size of our portfolio. So we have 50-odd companies. That means we have 50 CEOs, we have 50 CTOs, we have chief information officers. There's enormous reservoir there. And we're probably doing about 150 to 200 pieces of MA a year across our portfolio. So we're buying a lot of companies. We're seeing a lot of software. We're seeing a lot of applications. And working hard, we have an internal system, a kind of knowledge management system that's internal within our portfolio, which, again, is looking to extract views on products that people are building, again, and bring that into the center. So, so much of what we're doing here is not trying to blue sky think and sitting in a room and have ethereal thoughts about where the world might be going. So much of it is saying, what do we see coming up as actual data, actual workflow, actual products that we can harness and then work out how we might be able to invest behind
0: now, you mentioned earlier that trade buyers or sponsors are actually your usual exit for the software companies that you buy. Do you see public markets as a viable buyer for these private equity businesses? You
1: hear you have to split between the US and Europe. The European picture is pretty poor, right? I mean, there's been a lot of press commentary in the last year or two about, I think, going to end up with one large software company listed on the London Stock Exchange, which is shocking, right? I mean, shocking that's the case. And yet, we've got a dozen or more, you know, billion euro companies, technology companies in our portfolio alone. So I'd say the private side of what we're doing in Europe is very vibrant. I see a lot of good companies that have scaled really quickly. We're hardly IPOing anything. I, the last IPO we did was probably a decade ago. Um, and so it really isn't an opportunity for us in a European market. It's just not an attractive, really very attractive route for us. Different in the US, I see there's much more fluidity between businesses going public in the US, businesses coming private in the US coming off the market. It's a much more sticky, sort of less vibrant sector in Europe, clearly. And and that doesn't seem to be improving. Hmm.
0: You know, Matthew, 25 years ago, when I started in this business, if you told me that software would be the largest sector for buyouts, I would have fallen out of my chair. (laughs) But here we are in 2022 and software accounts for 25% of all buyouts globally. It is the number one sector. Now, I know you have a vested interest in this answer, but if we roll the clock forward another five or 10 years, are we still going to be looking at software as the number one sector? And do you think it could be even bigger as a percentage of the buyout market than
1: 25%? Honestly, and I'm, I'm trying to be objective, I really do. And I think there are two big drivers of that. One is we are seeing more and more and more really large software companies being built that are still private. And if I think about our own portfolio, we've got businesses that are capitalized towards many $20 billion now that are privately owned software companies. And we've got several of them. And we're working on a bunch more. And so the top end of that software buyout market, if you used to think about tech buyouts of scale, you know, the 10, 20 billion dollar category, it used to be telcos, it might be the odd media company, very, very hard to see software in there. Now that's very common, right? Very common to see large software buyouts, five, 10, 15 billion dollars and growing. The second area, which even amazes me, and I'm right in the middle of this industry, is just the sheer number of companies that get created, the number of products the innovation that happens in the sector, the number of small businesses that get built at the bottom end of our kind of investment activity, the kind of 100, 200 million enterprise enterprise value level, the number of products that get built there is still amazing to me. There's hundreds, if not thousands of companies a year that gradually mature into a place where you can do 100, 200 million dollar buyout. And that's not slowing as I see it, right? These long run trends seem to be driving both the top of the market and the bottom of the market in a sustained way. So we can be
0: assured that software is indeed eating the world
1: i wish i'd said that 10 years ago mark Andrewsen. i mean i think his second part of the quote is eating the world and that's where i'm going to put my money um the interesting perspective i have is stuff moves through the venture market and the west coast really quickly right people are bored of SaaS. it was 10 years ago now it's all about crypto and web 3.0 and so on we're still implementing SaaS mm-hmm. in all those companies that are selling insurance all those companies that are find taxes all those companies that are trying to help people do their job we're still implementing those products and it's 10 years later and it's still right in the early stages And it's remarkable to think how long that takes, how much longevity there is in those adoption curves for these kind of product sets. It's a remarkable trend, actually.
0: Well, I think you said it was kind of boring, but it sounds pretty exciting to me and an exciting way to actually invest and generate tremendous returns for your LPs. And frankly, these insights coming from the largest software investor and tech investor in Europe have been absolutely fantastic to hear. And Matthew, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show again today. Great, Hugh, and thank you for your time. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.